Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. We thank God for this dispensation. And dispensation, I mean the age of grace. We thank God for what Jesus has done for us, we appreciate the sacrifice and you can never appreciate it even more until you come to the full counsel of God concerning the gospel. Paul made a statement once and said that I am accountable of no man's blood for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. In other words, if I give part of the counsel, then I am accountable of certain men's blood. But he says, but I'm not accountable of any man's blood because I have revealed to you the full counsel of God. There are ministers or people that minister from the place of parts. The Bible says they see in part and prophesy in part. The same Bible says, but when that which is perfect comes, then that which is in part shall be done away with. Sometimes we preach one area and emphasize one area without drawing the balance of the other area. And it makes the gospel very dangerous, especially when the council is not full. You know, when a new revelation comes to your spirit, you can rush into excitement and find yourself going so far on one end or on one part, only that part which you know. And you could assume that that's the full counsel of God. But as you continue to grow, especially for those of you who are ministers or teachers of the gospel, you're right wherever God has placed you. Because again, you might not be on the pulpit like me, but you know, you're the kind who sometimes sits down with a friend and fellowship with them and you know, break bread and share scriptures. That kind of person, you will get into a place one day and as you continue to grow, to appreciate that you find a higher revelation on one which excited you a couple of years ago and then realize, oh, this is another part of the part the Lord had revealed. And it continues to grow on your life until the Spirit of God will stamp now the counsel concerning this area is full. That is a place of approval. That's a place that qualifies us to speak certain things. See, as you continue to understand how ministry works, you realize that until certain things come full, it's not wise for you to teach them. But again, to keep that place in God where he can convict you against what you know. And he tells you, you know, much as I've given you this much, it's not yet full. Wait for the fullness to come. 
when the fullness comes, the part is done away with, then you are more accurate and in truth, more aligned as a minister to be able to preach the gospel. And today I want to touch a very pertinent issue and in which I'll also touch parts and the full picture again as I define it. We're going to look at how we respond or how people react when they are in trouble. They went to a doctor and the doctor gave them a very bad report. They were at their workplace and the letter came about noon telling them that they don't have a future in that company. They were at school and then they received the worst news concerning the next months or weeks for their tuition. They are getting probably a letter next week from their landlord telling them to get these premises. He received a text last night. The woman told him, this is not working. Move on. Peter, move on. And so he doesn't know how to move on. You know, she received a message from the doctor that uh, the baby in the womb has no life. Many troubles, many, 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 many are the tests and trials and testations of the righteous. Then how we react in those tribulations, in those times of trouble and pain depends on where we are in our knowledge of God. I'll give you an example. Everybody in the Old Testament saw in part, knew in part, spoke in part, because the full one, the fullness, had not yet come through the person of Jesus Christ. Do you agree? Jesus, the Bible says, is the fullness that filleth all things. So before the coming of Jesus in the flesh, no matter how high the revelation that is given in the Old Testament, many of those men and women saw in part. Okay? And the Bible tells us that the prophets of old searched out diligently the Lord had revealed to them of a grace age to come. The prophets inquired and searched diligently. Who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you? Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow after. The Bible tells us, and to whom it was revealed, that it's not unto them, but unto us or you, they did minister these things. The Bible says, which things are reported by them which preach the gospel. Things angels desire to look into. In other words, there was an age to come called a grace age or an age of grace. The prophets of old started to see it. Ezekiel saw it. Hezekiah saw it. Moses saw it. David saw it. Everybody saw it. But every time they try to press in to connect to what the Lord is showing them, tells them, uh-uh, this is not for you. This is for a generation to come. Now Paul and Peter and all the teachers of the New Testament are telling you, the things we are teaching you are the things these men saw, but they could not enjoy the privileges nor live the life of those promises. But you are now in the age that receives it all by Christ Jesus. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, 
So you can go in the book of Psalms and then find David lamenting. Oh God, how long shall I go through this? I cried unto God with my voice. Uh, oh God, I wept and I'm drowning in my tears. Uh, you know, I, my soul ran into the night and I ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I was troubled. God, when will you come for my rescue? When will you deliver me from them that hate me? When will you do... Now, this is a man lamenting, whiling, whining, weeping because of the dispensation he's under. Okay? And then somebody opens Psalms and then he reads and then he goes in that portion of Scripture and then he says, Ah, this is the Word of God. And then they start weeping, Father, like Psalm 77 says, Why? You understand? Even Psalms 190, even Psalms 1, they start weeping over the psalm and they're weeping and they read the exact things David went through and say, oh, they even get so overwhelmed. Psalm 77 verses 3 said, I remembered God and I was troubled and I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. So they say, so it's even right to complain. Father, why is she abusing me? Why is this brother treating me this way? I am complaining in you, Lord. And then you start weeping and whining and rolling. Why? Because David, a man after God's own heart, did it. Then God tells you, no, David did not have the full counsel because the fullness was not come. Even though he was a man after God's own heart, there was something incomplete in his revelation and understanding because the fullness was not come. Are you following what I'm saying? For us who behold the fullness, who understand or are in the process of understanding, I'm speaking for some of you, we don't respond like the men of old because that's not how the full counsel has taught us. I want to show you how we respond in times of trouble and why we respond the way we respond. Because otherwise then, some of you will be alienated from the true experience that a believer has to carry when they are going through trying times. And I'm going to take our reading from a very powerful scripture, Romans chapter 5. If you will, read with me from the Amplified Version. Paul says, Therefore, since we are justified, acquitted, declared righteous, and given a right standing with God through faith. It's a very important thing. Therefore, since we are justified, that is acquitted, declared righteous, and given a right standing with God through faith. This is important for me to emphasize this. Paul, from Romans chapter 1, all through to chapter 4, is emphasizing the justification that we have through faith and not of works. And it's in the fifth chapter that he says, Therefore, since we are justified, we are made right, we are acquitted, we're given a right standing with God through faith. This is important. Now, this thing that I'm going to teach, this revelation I'm going to give is only for men who have understood what it means to be justified through faith. If you don't understand this mystery, you're not going to understand anything else I'm going to explain. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, again, if you read from the Amplified Version, this is now Paul speaking before we get into 5 to help you understand what I'm saying. Paul says, for in the gospel is a righteousness God ascribes. And that gospel in which his righteousness is ascribed is a revelation. 
He called it a revelation. For in the gospel, righteousness which God describes is revealed. So grace, grace is a revelation. So just a lesson you teach. It's a revelation. It's an experience your eyes must see. The righteousness of God is a revelation. But springing, he says, from faith and leading to faith. It springs from faith. It comes from a place of faith and it leads into more faith because it's of faith. But why I read you that portion of Scripture in Romans 1.17 is for you to appreciate that grace is a revelation. If it's not in your spirit, it doesn't matter how much you can try to interpret it. Whoever teaches it, you might misunderstand them. So don't blame people who don't understand it. Who think that we promote sin because we teach grace. They don't understand it. Yeah. Grace is a revelation. So back to what I was trying to tell us here. He's talking to men who have understood that they've been justified by faith. Declared righteous by faith. Okay? Like the fall of Adam judged all men under sin without works. For God to satisfy that equation, he had to send Jesus Christ to grant a righteousness without works as sin after the fall of Adam was counted on all men, even those which had not yet sinned. So the Bible says. That is why the consequences of sin follow people. The wages of sin is death. Why do you think children die? Why do you think children die? They die because they are as a result of a fallen nature. And that fallen nature has sinned whether it has done it physically or it has not. Anybody born after the nature of the Adamic is a sinner. Praise the Lord Jesus. That's why Romans 5 says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgressions. Everybody's a sinner who is born in the Adamic nature. So for God to heal that, he had to send Jesus Christ to give you a righteousness which is not based on works like sin, the nature was not based on whether a man did it or did not in the Old Testament. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, this justification, righteousness, right standing with God is through faith. Jesus comes as a propitiation of your sins. He carries all your sins at the cross of Calvary. And from then on, yes, the Bible tells us before that sin disturbed relations, you were not in a perfect relationship with God. And you were not in a perfect relationship with God because you were born a sinner. You had the nature of a sinner. See? When Jesus comes at the fullness of time, the Bible tells us he reconciles men back unto God. The Greek word for peace with God. We have peace with God. It's We have advantage with God. And because you're a new creature, he had to go in Christ to make you. So he says, if any man be in Christ, if any man be in Christ, the reality of your experience concerning the new birth is that every time God sees you, he sees you in Christ, not outside Christ. So regardless of what you do, he's at peace with you because he sees the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's important for you to understand. He sees the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul knew 
that there was going to become a group of people which do not appreciate or understand the full counsel of this message. And they would only take this part. And if they take only that part, they would live irresponsible lives and breach the character that should come with the privilege of the righteousness imputed unto us by faith. So what did he do? Immediately in Romans chapter 6, he says, What then shall we say? If you are righteous, not of works anymore, but of faith towards God, what then shall we say? Shall we say that we should continue in sin so grace may abound? And he says, God forbid. Why? It's in the next question he asks. He says, how? He didn't continue to explain, you know, this is why you shouldn't. No, he just asks, how? Are you following what I'm saying? Because in the first one, two, three, four chapters of Romans, he has explained to you how it's not possible for you to continue in sin. The Bible says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but are under grace. No man under grace can be dominated by sin. It's not possible. Sin cannot dominate you. But he knew there's going to come an indifferent group of people which will only take the part of righteousness imputed by faith and then use it for lasciviousness because they have not yet understood the full counsel of God. Live irresponsible life because anyway, he does not impute sin on me but imputes righteousness on me every time he looks at Jesus Christ. So that's how he asks for how then does that happen that you are dead to sin, but yet you're living therein. The message version says it right. If you read from uh, the verses 1, Romans chapter 6, it says, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left, listen, the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? If you left the country where sin lives, how can you be living in your old house there? It's not possible. He's trying to give you the full counsel to tell you that much as we are strong on receiving the righteousness that has been given to us through faith, we also understand the magnitude of the integrity required to keep the character that comes with that privilege. You should never forget that. If you're the kind who says, ah, let me do it because I'm under grace, then you only know a part of grace, not the full counsel. Yet you will not walk out of that weakness before you appreciate that first part. That's integral. It's the core of the gospel. So what has the devil done? He has attacked the core of righteousness imputed by faith by only shedding light on those which act indifferent to the grace, not necessarily appreciating those who have lived right by the same message. And yet more every day are living right by the same message than those who abuse it. Because this message is bearing fruit. The Bible says, let's read Colossians 1 verse 6. He says, this gospel which has come to you indeed in the whole world, that gospel, he says, is bearing fruit and is still growing by its own inherent power, even as it has done among yourselves ever since the day you first heard and came to know and, listen emphasis, understand the grace of God in truth. From the time you came to understand the grace of God in truth, 
the message started to bear fruit in you. Started to work in you by its own inherent power. So if you don't feel like the grace of God is working in you, then you have not come to know and fully understand it. Because when you come to know it and fully understand it, the Bible says you came to know the grace of God uh, deeply and clearly and thoroughly, comma, it says becoming accurately and intimately acquainted with it. You become accurately and intimately acquainted with God as you continue to understand this message. And that intimacy starts to build a certain character in your life. You just start living right. Just start living right. So that is why uh, these days I'm so zealous for us to strike balances because I see some people run off the rail so easily because they are under grace. You see? At least that's what they assume we're teaching, but that's not what we're teaching. It was probably because maybe they've observed some of you and you're off tangent and therefore we are judged. But yet, we are not going to go into the law because you have failed to understand grace. We're going to still continue to teach it until you understand it. Are you following? We're not going to compromise the message because you are behaving unseemly by reason of you not understanding it. Because we understand now the healing, the antidote of that is to continue emphasizing it until you understand it. Not to go away from it and then become legal because we want to tame you. That's not God's way. Are you following what I'm saying? So I'm trying to invite all of us with the assumption in my heart that I'm not going to contradict whatever I'm teaching after because every man at the sound of my voice has the understanding of that perfect balance. Now I'm talking to men who are balanced. So I talk without apology. Now let's go back to the message here. He said, Therefore, since we are justified, declared righteous, and given a right standing with God through faith, now that you've understood this, the next instruction is let us grasp. Let us take a hold of, let us lambano it aggressively with the spirit, hold it, because it is easy for it to slip away from you. It's very important for we emphasize this. Because many people leak, and the very things you knew start leaving you, and you start doubting the very things you once believed. That is why I tell people, biblically, there is a standard God has given us to keep fervent. This is one thing every Christian should do every day of your life. He says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. You see, when you read out of thy mouth here, he's explaining how it will not depart from your mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. This is a secret. Every believer should meditate on the word every day of your life. You should never go to bed without meditating on the word. Some of you do 15 minutes. Some of you do 20. Some of you do 30. Some of you do an hour. I'm not going to judge anybody. For me now, I usually do between three to six hours. Every day, either late in the night or early in the morning, somewhere something in my spirit has to meditate on the word. That's the life that I've lived constantly and consistently for many years now. And when you live that life, the Bible says you shall make your way prosperous and thou shall have good success. The success equation, spiritual, is not hidden from men. It's not a mystery. It's open. It's so easy for you to be a success in this world. Very simple. Learn to meditate. If even fallen religions, new age, 
and all his funny garbage you hear believes in meditation you know now the new age has brought yoga what is it really all of that is meditation transcendental and otherwise it's all taking you to the same place that god has designed you as a being to be a meditating being learn to meditate in the word that's why we give you devotionals every morning so when you wake up you can stand awaken your spirit to the success god has already ordained for you by christ you wake up and read that devotional and then start your day don't start your day on a computer don't start your day on a video game don't start your day on a whatsapp conversation start your day with god Praise the Lord. Meditate through the day. You see, recently I was reading about a very famous movie actor. Uh-huh. Is it Will Smith or something? The fellow is giving a story of his life. He says every day he meditates for two hours. Not in scripture, some other way, but he meditates for two hours. And by reason of that meditation, they checked his cellular age. I think he's 50 or something. I checked his cellular age and it's like over 30 year old and they ascribe it to meditation but if a man can keep his cells healthy by meditating positively how about you who has a wife huh? what about you who has truth how can you just age some of you started but you have diseases of people who are eight Start meditating. You take those things out of your body. Some of us, the more we age, the stronger we feel. I feel stronger than I was at 25. Somebody shout hallelujah. Because you're in the Word, you're meditating there in day and night. These words are life to them that find them and medicine to all their flesh. Somebody shout hallelujah. So he tells you, let us grab, let us grasp, let us take a hold the fact that we have the peace of reconciliation to hold on to and enjoy peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ the Messiah the anointed one because of the righteousness imputed on you by faith you have peace with God you are reconciled like i said if any man be in Christ is a new creature behold all is past and now the new and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself for to wit was God in Christ Jesus not imputing sin unto the world but imputing righteousness this is how he did it he entered Christ and started imputing righteousness of men and not imputing sin and the bible says and for such he has committed unto us the bible calls it the word of reconciliation and then now we become ambassadors who now bid you beseech you as though in the place of Christ to ask those which are not born again to be reconciled unto God so the fundamental message of the new birth the new testament the present truth is the reconciliation of God and man we are reconciled there is nothing from your day of salvation and i emphasize this from the day you got born again there is nothing you can ever do for god to fall out of peace with you are you following what i'm saying nothing there are things that you can do 
to conflict your world, okay? You can refuse to do certain principles that are given in Scripture, and then you conflict your world, and then you have troubles. But because you've conflicted your world and have trouble, it does not mean that you're not at peace with God. You get the difference? Some people think that because they've made a few mistakes and they've conflicted their world, therefore, God is punishing them. He's not at peace with them. That's wrong teaching. From the time Jesus died and you received the Lordship of Jesus Christ over your life, God is at peace with you. Isaiah chapter 32, verses 17. The work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Quietness and assurance forever. The work of righteousness was intended to bring peace between you and God. So even though your world could conflict because of your personal mistakes, God is at peace with you. And that's important because it means you can fix those things. You can fix those things. Are you following me, child of God? You can fix those things. So, it's important for me to emphasize that because some people think that because things are conflicting in our lives, therefore God now doesn't want to talk to you. God now doesn't want to relate with you. No. The word of reconciliation means the dividing wall was broken. The price was paid. Regardless of where you are in life, circumcised or uncircumcised, if you have believed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have peace with Him. Circumcised means uh, living a consecrated life. Uncircumcised means you're still struggling to live there. You see? Why? Because if that righteousness comes, like Romans chapter 4 says, the blessedness of righteousness came on Abraham not before circumcision, but while he was yet uncircumcised. And he received the sign, the Bible says, of what? Circumcision as a seal of righteousness of faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, because they believe. Did you understand that? You believe even though you're not changed yet, and continue believing the message even though you're not changed yet, and the message by its own inherent power starts to work in you, to change you physically, such that your character can reconcile with your blessing with God. But while you're in that process, you are at peace with Him. That's why He says, now that you know we're at peace with Him, huh? this is the thing you have to grasp most. Take a hold of it in your spirit and remind yourself and meditate in every day that you have a right standing with God. Verses 2, through whom also we have our access entrance or introduction by faith into this grace, which grace, favor, the state of God's favor, in which we firmly and safely stand. We, we are firm and safe in anything called God's favor because we are at peace with Him, we are reconciled with Him. Now, if you don't have this revelation in full, you'll sing songs like, Lord, you seem so far away, a million miles or more, it feels today. Do, 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 do. And though I haven't lost my faith, 
Uh-huh. It's hard for me to pray. And then you look at your condition eh? and you're like, this brother understands. This guy sings where I'm at. Or maybe you are where the part is. If you have understood the ministry of reconciliation, if you have understood that in him, Jesus, you live, move, and have your own being. Come on, somebody help me. If you understand that he abides in you and that he will never leave you, nor forsake you, how can he seem far? In Luganda, we have a song. It says, Aliwa Yesuna. Then it goes, Njagala Mulabe. Yesu. And then, because it sounds good, oh, sorry for the guys who don't understand Luganda, that song translates as, Where is Jesus? I want to see him. Where is Jesus? I want to see him. You see, some people are looking for Jesus. Huh? Some people, Jesus just visits. And then he gives them an experience and then he goes away until the next time he what? He comes, okay? And because they live in a world of perpetual visitations, huh? they praise and celebrate every visitation. Huh? They conjure everything necessary to bring him to come and visit. Pass me not, O oh gentle Savior. Listen. Hear my humble cry. <laughs> Why on earth I go only to not pass me by? Savior, Savior. Oh, and then you feel your husband. <laughs> My humble cry. And if you come from an emotional family, <laughs> but sister, you're on the wrong revelation. The one I know will never pass me by. He lives inside me. Glory to God. And you know somebody feels the Holy Spirit on that song. And you know the Spirit is amazing. He's so gentle that he can minister to you in that part. So because he's ministered to you in that part, you feel that that's the full one. Oh my goodness. You are there while some people are on another place. So 
refreshing. That song means that he lives in the mountains. He lives in the lakes and the rivers. He's filled with the eye, but he's in me. He's in me. He lifts me up every time I go in the place of prayer. He can never leave me. That's what that song means. You see? So, someone is praying for a visitation because some people have not yet gotten the difference between visitation and encounters. See, the indwelling Christ can give you certain encounters. When he gives you those encounters, it does not mean that they are visitations. Don't confuse visitations and encounters. You are going to have multiple encounters of the indwelling Christ. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. The Bible says that you being rooted and grounded in love, you'll know what is the breadth, what is the length, you know, what is the height of God's love. And it tells you that if you continue going in there, you'll understand the love of God that passes all knowledge. And when you understand that love that passes all knowledge, the Bible says you will be filled with all the fullness of God. The Amplified Bible says that you will become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself because you'll be a carrier of the richest measure of the presence of God. Simple because you understand that Jesus is in you. Just to understand that Jesus is in you. Oh, I feel the power of God already. So for us, that's where we pray from. We pray from his indwelling person. He's with me. He's with me. And he will never leave me. You see, for us, it doesn't seem far. He doesn't seem far. He doesn't seem far. Are you following? So he tells you, we have access by faith into the grace of favor in which we firmly stand. Because of that, he says, let us rejoice and exult in our hope of experiencing and enjoying the glory of God. Because, now let's go back again because I have been reconciled with God, because I have received the righteousness not of works but of faith, because I have peace with God and right standing, not on my own works but through faith, because I lay hold of the favor that peace comes with, because I have a firm standing with God. He says, therefore, I find that I'm always living an exuberantly rejoicing life with the hope or expectation of experiencing the glory of God on my life. That means, if you understand this, Romans chapter 5, those first three verses, you always wake up expecting something good to happen. Regardless of what you're going through, you'll always expect some good. You'll always expect a surprise from heaven. You'll always expect that some glory is going to manifest on your life. You're always going to wake up that way. That's why people who understand this message, they are happy people. You know, some of you ask yourselves, ah, but these people in Fanero, they are too loud. Oh, oh, oh. Let me explain why we are too loud. We're not too loud because we are just unstable people. We're too loud because we know what Jesus has done. 
And every time we wake up, we find ourselves rejoicing in the hope of experiencing and enjoying the glory of God. Do you know what it's like to just wake up and know God is going to do something for you? You just know that something is about to happen. Expectancy, the power of expectancy. The power of expectancy. If you've not had that someone, go and listen to it. The power of expectancy or expectation. There's somebody right now who wakes up and they're thinking, my marriage is going to fail. There's another man waking up saying, my marriage has to work. You see, they're both believing the Bible, but one sees the part, another one beholds the fullness. Oh yes, I know that there's things that are troubling you left, right and center, but he said, because of what I just shared, he says, you always wake up expecting glory. When you live that kind of life, you'll find yourself speaking into your days to come with hope. This has to change. Things are going to come up eventually. Things will turn for my good. But have you been around people who are just negative? They're just speaking negative. Hey, hey, I'm dead. We are gone. Things are not going to work. Oh, I don't think I'm going to make it through. I'm tired. This business, no, it's not mine. You know, they start speaking things and you're like, okay, this is actually a doctrinal issue. They have not yet been perfected in the other revelation. Because they're not perfect in that revelation, they're just negative. They're just negative and negative. They think wrong, they speak wrong, they confess wrong. Everything is doom and failure and mayhem and, you know, disappointment and destruction and desperation and confusion and every other word you can add there. Next slide. Moreover. Now, moreover means above all. Let us also be full of joy now. Let us exalt and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the pressure and affliction and hardship produces what? Patience. Aha. Uh -huh. And patience and swaggering endurance. And endurance, fortitude, develops what? Maturity of character, listen, approved faith and tried integrity. And that sort of character produces the habit of joyful and confident hope of eternal salvation. Let me explain this. He says, because you've understood this, the peace you have with God, the reconciliation you have with Him, because you've understood that you have right standing with Him and He is firm with you concerning His favor on your life, you live expecting glory. And because you're expecting glory, trouble could come. If or when any trouble comes, he says, moreover, when all of this comes, he says, start your spirit to more joy than you even have every day. Because whatever has come by design and default, it is not going to kill you, destroy you, or fail you. It even has nothing to do with the spirit of death and destruction. It has everything to do with God perfecting patience in you, developing a certain place of maturity and approving your faith and integrity with the same such so that you are a better breed or better version of yourself when you have come out of this trouble. Do you understand what I've just said? Yes, the doctor said you have cancer, but it was not designed to kill you. 
it was there to push you out of your indifference and define an endurance, a fortitude that fortifies your faith and defines the character or integrity of everything you know to believe in God, to advance you to the next level of a believer and approve you as one which has faith, not to kill you. Nothing in your life is designed to destroy you. Everything that comes your way comes with its level of glory. God wants to raise a person with a full understanding where you go to the doctor and they said you have full-blown diabetes and then you look in the sky and smile and say, what are you up to? Who has understood what I just said? Because all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. This shall not end in your death but the glorification of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. If you have understood it, I want you to shout Amen. And it says, as your endurance develops maturity of character and approves faith and integrity in your life, he says, this in turn also produces a habit, not an occasion. It starts to produce a habit of joyful and confident hope of eternal salvation. It even makes you crazier to a point whereby in everything, it's just your habit. It's just your habit to carry a confident, joyful demeanor. Temperament. Every time you're joyful, expecting some good to happen. You see, this song that says, um, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. That next line. How I Now, what is all? That word there is, I've proved you over and over. I'll give you an example. You get trouble, you get a sickness, you pray. You learn how they pray the right way. You're rejoicing, you're exuberant, and then that sickness goes. Then another one comes, and then you do the same, and it goes. You've proved him over and over. You're not the kind saying, let us hope I'll heal. You are confident that every time I do it this way, this thing lives. When you get to that level and you understand that pattern, you start to realize that for you, joy, exuberance, that exceeding gladness in your spirit and confidence that things are going to turn out for your good, it stops to be a once in a while occasion applied to when you're in trouble, it starts to become a habit. The Bible says, in all things give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning your life. Now, simple thing, all things give thanks is accept failure, accept death, accept defeat. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, give thanks because I have a plan on it. Give thanks because I have a plan on it. So you shift from applying it in the times when you're in trouble, which is okay, this patience that has come to define a certain integrity of maturity in character, it takes you to a place where thanksgiving, living a joyful life of expecting and confidence in God, knowing that things are going to work for good, starts to become a habitual lifestyle. And the Bible says, next slide, such hope never disappoints. Oh, deludes. Oh, shames us. 
For God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I know the doctor wrote a report about you, but I want you to start praising God now. You say, now. I know that you don't have money for the landlord, but I beseech thee to praise God now. I know that there is trouble in your marriage, but I beseech thee to praise God now. I know that you have trouble in your womb. You have not given birth yet, but I beseech thee to praise God now. I know you're 55 and you're not yet married. That is the person I'm telling. You come to service and start dancing more than unmarried people can dance. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you know who you are. You know what you're made of. You know what God is going to do next week, next year. It might take a week, a month. All I know that eventually this will turn to your So you find a person, they just received a chocolate last week. In the same time they lost their job, in the same time they have a disease, and then they're on the ground spraying. And then praise comes up and they stand up. Hakuna mungu kama And then you see them dancing, sweating. What's wrong with this brother? Hakuna. You understand? Uncle David David So, for you, you're singing because you're in spiritual warfare. Oh! The people who look at you don't understand. They say, but what's wrong with this person? What's wrong with this woman? What's wrong with this brother? Who are told that they've just lost somebody. They've just lost their car. They've just lost their job. Why are they still standing up? Celebrating. They do not know that this is the weapon of your warfare. It is not carnal. It is might in Christ to pull down strongholds. Cast down imagination. Break everything that exalts itself above your knowledge of Christ. And bring into captivity all thoughts to the obedience of Christ. Having a readiness to punish all disobedience when your obedience has come in. Come on somebody, I want you to praise God. I know things have not yet adjusted yet, but praise God. I know things are not yet working in your life, but praise God. I know your body still has pain, but praise God. I know the ulcers are delayed to leave, but praise That is why some of us, nothing can never take away our joy. Eh, eh, no, 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 no. No, we know things are not working in some area. But we know, we see, we understand what God has done by Christ. You say, barren woman dancing. Then you say, yeah, this one understands the gospel. You see a person whose father is in hospital and they're telling him anytime they're going to pull the plug and the guy's dancing for God. He's jumping for Jesus because he is convinced in his spirit that all things work together for good because he loves the Lord and he was called according to his purpose. 
hardest times, that is when we praised God. In the hardest times, that is when we danced most. When you are broke, that's where you should dress smartest. And you always find you and they say, my God, you look like money. And you tell them I'm money. The communication of our faith becomes effectual as we acknowledge every good thing which is in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, somebody. Hallelujah, somebody. That is why I want to salute people who have gone through too much. But every time service time comes, you're in the presence like nothing has happened in your life. Like you have not lost a lot. Like the relationship did not end. Like everything... Those are people who know God. Those are people who know God. Those are people who know God. He said, let us rejoice now. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. To make a declaration, you don't yet understand. already. Abraham saw Jesus. He says, Abraham saw my day and he was glad. Look at your next 20 years and tell me what you see. So, shouting, praising for us it's not a method. It's an understanding. We know who we have believed. The council is full. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. to this there are people here who have been dealing with long term illnesses ulcers diabetes heart, kidney you've been dealing with long term diseases what does Ecclesiastes 11.10 say Ecclesiastes 11.10 say therefore remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. Do you hear that? If you remove sorrow out of your heart, you'll chase evil out of your body. This is a secret of divine health. Refuse to be sad. Not even about that disease. Refuse. Sorrow. You know some of you say, oh, I've lived with HIV for, oh, take it out of your heart. Swallow your medicine, but take it out of your heart. The Bible says you remove evil from your flesh. Take sorrow out of your heart. Stop being sad. You'll fix your world. 
I know a God who's merciful and kind, faithful and gracious. I'm the apple of his eyes, the thought that fills his heart every morning, noon, and night. Till I came running back into his arms. See how he turns my life around, make me a shining star, his glory to Testify. Don't look too far to see. Tell him how good he is. Uh -huh. Just look at me. He took me from a miracle. You might not look like it, but it's important that you sing it. in our hearts we are not afraid of the future we are not worried of the days ahead because we know you own our days we are confident that this year is going to be wonderful next year is going to be better the rest of the years of our lives let me decree upon our lives that we are going to ascend from glory to glory some of you I see you at 81 day 
I see you at 90 and I see your children gathered around you. I see nations honoring you. I see generations responding to the glory of God on your life. I see wealth. I see victory. I see peace. I see wisdom. And by the time you go to glory, it shall be one of the most beautiful days of your life. And I see God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you lived right according to the doctrine. Health is yours. Joy is yours. Peace is yours. Victory is yours. Favor is yours. Let no man talk you out of it. Let no circumstance convince you out of it. You might be delayed, but he's the God of time. He can redeem everything you lost. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's clap for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Great days are ahead of you. I say great days are ahead of you. Hallelujah. You're healed. You're healed. You're healed. You're free. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, what a great day to do it. What a great day to do it. He shed his blood for you above all that you might purchase eternal salvation that one day if you should go to heaven it will be worth it and the only way is through him it's through him the bible says there's no name given among men wherewith we're saved but that name of jesus so if you're there and you want to give your life to jesus Repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I give you my heart. I receive you as Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for your sacrifice at the cross and my glory through your finished work. Today, I'm a new being. This Amen. sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.